Hello and welcome to Tape Notes, the podcast that looks behind the scenes at the magic of recording and producing music. Every episode we'll be reuniting an artist and producer and talking through some of the highlights from their collaboration in the studio. So join us as we lift the lid on the creative process and the inner workings of music production to see what lies beneath. Hello, my name is John Kennedy and joining me for this episode of Tape Notes are Jesse Ware and producer Dave Akumu. Jesse is a singer and songwriter hailing from South London. Her career started back in 2009 as vocalist for a number of bands including the likes of Man Like Me and Jack Pagnati. It was whilst performing with Pagnati that she was first introduced to Subtract and in late 2010 went on to collaborate on the single Nervous. Off the back of this success, Jessie co-wrote the duet Valentine with fellow Subtract collaborator and live performer Sampha, and in doing so cemented her presence on the UK music scene. A further two appearances followed on Subtract's self-titled album, after which Jessie embarked upon her own solo material. Jessie and Dave first worked together on her single Strangest Feeling, and having established a good creative partnership, decided to record and produce the album Devotion together. Devotion entered the UK album charts at number five, collecting award nominations along the way, most notably the Mercury Prize shortlist for 2012. Jessie has subsequently released a further two albums, Tough Love in 2014 and Glass House in 2017, and is now also a highly successful podcaster in her own right with her Table Manners podcast, in which Jessie and her mother practice the art of mealtime chat with a hugely impressive and eclectic array of guests, from Sam Smith to Sadiq Khan. Dave is a longtime friend and supporter of In The Woods, having played the festival more than once with his band The Invisible and also featured in the first ever Tape Notes episode with Rosie Lowe. A legend in the music industry, Dave has played with the likes of Amy Winehouse and St. Vincent and on the other side of the desk has produced artists such as Anna Calvi and Rosie Lowe. I'm here in Deptford at Dave's new studio to talk about how they recorded and produced the album Devotion together. And what better way to start that conversation than by hearing something from the record? This is Wildest Moments. It is Wildest Moments, it is Jesse Ware from the album Devotion, and we're going to go back to that album today for tape notes. I have Jesse and Dave Akumu here, sat in front of me, and we're actually sitting in Dave's new studio setup in Deptford. So, I mean, this is so new. Where did you two go to work to work on the tracks that we're going to talk about today? Um, well, the first time that we met, we met in this studio called Metro, uh, Sensible Studios. Sensible, yeah. Um, which is just a bit of a schlep to get to. And um, it's kind of between Cal- Caledonian Road and uh, 
it's kind of in York between Way, it's kind of, yeah. yeah, like York Way and Caledonian Road. It's like it was so kind of up near King's Cross yeah. in that direction. So we yeah. did, we, yeah. we wrote devotion there on the well. I mean, Dave kind of brought a lot of devotion to the session, and we that was our first session together. And then the majority of it was done in Dave's flat in Lewisham, um, in his kitchen, surrounded by really good cup of tea and <laughs> and and excellent food provided by Dave. Right, fantastic. So I mean, because a few different people worked on the album, didn't they? Yeah. So we're we going to talk about three tracks that you worked yeah. on with Dave. Are there others that we're not going to talk about that you worked on with Dave as well? Yeah, Dave was the producer of right. the record, and if he wasn't involved in the writing of the song then he was producing it. Um, you know, there's songs like Running, which I wrote with um, Julia Bashmore and a guy called Bray, um, but Dave took it and produced it. And then there'd be a song like Sweet Talk, which was with me, me and Bashmore, um, uh, and Dave would take it and produce it and make it. And so it, it was so important. Dave was the glue that made everything make sense um, in the record and everything sonically sound brilliant together. So... Um, even if he hadn't written something, then he was he was integral to the making of it. Yeah, so he's like an overseer yeah. as well as a collaborator. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Exec, uh, mentor, <laughs> uh, father, everything. Best <laughs> <His> friend. Yeah. <laughs> and, and when did you start working? So you say you, you, when you first met, and then you worked on devotion. Um, yeah. Had you had conversations before? Who had brought you together? No, so so I, I kind of want to tell you this bit. I met Jesse's manager at the time at Paloma Faith's house. She had a barbecue and um, there was this guy, characterful dude, flipping burgers. And I thought I better make friends with him because that's where the food is. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and we got talking and he said, I'm looking after this really great singer. Would you potentially be interested in like hooking up and writing? And I was, I was in a very particular sort of frame of mind at the time, I think, I think I'd just, I'd made the first Invisible record and I was sort of coming out of, you know, indulging my own creativity and wanting to actually work with other people again. And so the timing was just great. So he sent me this track that Jesse had done with Subtract, Nervous. Oh, yeah. And I just heard this voice and I was like, wow, this I love this voice. And I'd love to meet this person. And I actually, I remember, I think that evening, I sat down in my kitchen, Lewisham, and tried to write a piece of music for this voice, basically. And the way I kind of thought about it was, doesn't matter if nothing comes of it, it's just, this is a fun exercise. And I thought, what would I love to hear this voice saying to me? And it, and it was basically, I need your devotion. And that's kind of how that song sort of started. And then the session was arranged and we met each other at Sensible. So that was kind of the, the, the journey to that point, yeah. basically. But so when you met Dave then, Jesse, he'd already been thinking about you yeah. and then could present you with this I mean, piece of music. I mean, that's the joy. Like, that, that doesn't happen that often, actually pretty much ever. And and there was such generosity. And we, we had a few email chats, like being like, hi, how are you? Looking forward to meeting you. It was a bit kind of like how I imagine, like, dating on a dating app is like, you know, you text and you kind of talk about meeting and looking forward to it and where you're going to meet. and um, But... I didn't realise Dave had um, made me music, but he sent it to me um, before. Um, he said, "I've got. Don't worry if you don't like it. I just had this in mind." And and I remember I was in I was living in Brixton with like my mates, and I put it on, and it was just like enchanting. It had that that intro with all the kind of um, reversed guitars, and it was just felt like I was going into a world. And it was 
it was like he'd encapsulated everything that I'd said in an email from what he'd known about me, like for like maybe what two emails saying, oh, I really like Sade and I like the weekend's mixtape. That's really cool. <laughs> and oh, and I'm probably being quite apologetic. And it was just kind of this this present that was delivered to me. It was it made so much sense. And it, for me, I was really awkward in the studio, especially at the beginning. I don't think I'm that much less awkward now, but, um, and I was very scared about writing with strangers. You know, you go into these sessions um, not knowing these people. And, and I think you have to have quite a thick skin as I've learned. Um, but to get Dave on the first day, it's just, you know, the k kindest face, the kindest person and, um, and with the best taste, it was just, it felt too good to be true, really. So we just kind of, I thanked him so much and we carried on working together from then. It kind of became the blueprint for Devotion, the record. Yeah. And that's why Devotion's called Devotion, because that's where it kind of started. Yeah, amazing. So, and what year was this? Is this 2000 and... God, I'm so 11, bad with I think it was 11. like 10, it was, I think it was 11, actually. I think it was 2011. It was, it was a pretty significant time for me. Mm. Um, I remember coming to Sensible. Yeah. And I actually had it on a CD. Do you remember the CDs? <laughs> I still use them. <laughs> <laughs> they sound great. <laughs> um, and I I was determined, I guess like my outlook was I didn't want to be prescriptive. I didn't want to be like, I've heard your voice. I know what you need to do. <laughs> like, this is going to make you a star or whatever, because I, I don't know what that is. But I just, um, I wanted it to be something that was led by Jesse. And, um, and I was worried, actually. I remember being slightly anxious that I was just going to add another layer of confusion by bringing this kind of formed thing to her. So I can't, yeah, my preamble was like, please like bin it if you don't like it, basically it's fine. I really love making it. So it doesn't, yeah. doesn't really, I'll use it for me. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you don't want it. You yeah. know? Um, and, but we just connected and, and it felt like the beginning of Jesse just, I don't know. I felt so much trust from her basically. And that, that was very empowering for me to yeah. kind of move forward. And, at that point, we didn't know, you know, I wasn't your producer or anything. We were just, no. we were just collaborating. It was yeah. just like, let's make stuff because this feels good. Yeah. It felt like our, our own little world. And, um, it was, yeah, we just had space to kind of explore what we wanted to make. And that, that felt really great. Felt really good. I yeah. Think, I think there was like no pressure either. I'd been signed <clears throat> quite for a really small deal, which I was really actually thankful for, which meant that there wasn't lots of label people trying to fuss and it just meant that we just got on with it and so that I think we did um devotion maybe in January February and then we decided I think by maybe the summer or autumn that you were going to be the producer yeah, was, and take this summer, project remember, yeah. on and um and it just felt right it, I felt the safest with him and in this it, weird world where it's it's a funny old business which I've learned more and more about and it gets uglier and uglier sometimes. Um, I feel like I had the best start to being able to be the musician that I wanted because there was no pressure and I was I felt safe with Dave and I felt like I was being able to be creative and I had Dave in my head saying, whatever you do, make music that you're proud of because if you put it out and nobody else likes it, at least you are proud of it and you make this record and it's for you. And I think sometimes I've... I, that voice has been fainter in my in my head going forward, and I always have Dave in the back of my head reminding me of that. Um, and it's kind of become so much more poignant 
making my new record now, just like how important that is, because I think it was overwhelming, actually, what happened with the success of Devotion. We were just making a record that we wanted to love and that we were proud of. And then it became this thing that kind of had real legs. I toured it for two years and and it was kind of opportunities arose. And then it was like, okay, cool. Well, you are now going to have lots of attention on you and you're going to write with lots of people and... And don't get me wrong, I en- I enjoyed that and I was up for it. But I think sometimes it swayed my opinion because you have so many egos and Dave isn't an ego. And I think it was, yeah, I was very, very lucky to have that experience right at the beginning of my career. Yeah, and be able to make the record and then have it take off without the kind of pressure yeah. in terms of making it before. Yeah. And, you know, that, that pressure wasn't there. It so, all gets harder yeah. after the, after yeah. the first record. Yeah. I mean, something like Wildest Moments, you know, had, ended up soundtracking an era you know in a, oh, in a way that's very sweet no but it's true I mean it became one of the songs that you heard everywhere wherever you went and mm-hmm. on you know multiple different TV channels were using it to soundtrack things yeah. and so it's one of those things that's coming out of the radio it's coming out of the TV yeah. um, but the, the interesting thing about the record is that it's full of other things as well and Devotion is a great example I think if you have that demo handy the thing yeah, that you brought it. along to Sensible Studios it'd be great to, to hear that and yeah. ha- hear how the I whole mean, record y- started will, really you will hear how pretty I mean, what I did, I helped write the second verse because it was so perfect. I didn't want to change it. I was like, Mm -hmm. why would I change it? This is amazing. So really, like, that was Dave's huge gift to me. Sounds great, yeah. But is so there is a female vocal at the start, uh, so no, or, or is that's, that Dave? That's Dave. That's, that's Dave. He's got woman. really good right. falsetto. So the, and then obviously you can hear your the the voice we're more familiar with. But that's amazing. So that's quite a great kind of sketch to respond to. <laughs> I mean, to. yeah. I mean, it's a song. It felt like the space was amazing. I I loved the sentiment of "I need your devotion." I think you know you can hear that Dave has this more like like way that he he's more punchy with how he like need your devotion, and I think I just kind of mizzied it up, like made it a bit more miserable and kind of <laughs> d- depressing, um, which seemed to work. Um, yeah, it was so easy to be able to respond to that and to be able to write on it. But yeah, it's I think it's also really wonderful to be able to say no, let's keep it exactly how that is it's pretty near how it is mm. on the record you know we added more reverb on the drums and stuff like that but um, yeah it's, ama- it's amazing to me like listening sort of back to it and just going back to the stems and stuff because I feel like often what happens with production in this this day and age is that um it's just trying to stop you from being bored you know so there's mm. this kind of there's this sense of like you know, EDM is kind of like a great demonstration of that in some ways. It's like there has to be a drop every eight bars or something just to retain your attention because it's actually not that that exciting. I don't think, you know, the vitality isn't necessarily in the writing um, or or the feeling. So you have to sort of engender it in other ways. And I think it takes a lot of courage to kind of 
understand that, that when something's been made intuitively, um, that's what makes it great. And to actually just allow it to be that. And I've made this mistake many times as a producer, you know, you, you overcook things, you, you think, okay, now I've got to do it properly. And actually you just lose what makes it mm. special. And um, I thought it was really courageous of Jesse actually to go, do you know what, this is the feeling I want. So it's going to stay like this. And really there's not, there's not really that much difference in the final version. It's just mixed. And, you know, there's, there's elements in the track that are so raw and so badly recorded because I was just ha having a moment in my kitchen, you know, so there's a backing vocal part of mine that's just recorded straight into the laptop. The, the bass <laughs> sound is, is, um, it's my classical guitar recorded straight into the laptop and pitched down. It sounds awful, but actually to, in, in context, it, it creates this feeling. Um, and it's a feeling that I'll never be able to recreate again. And I'm so glad it's there on a record because mm. it's, it's special, you know, and I think that's, that's something that I'm always trying to hold on to as a, as a producer is actually, yeah, not, not overthinking those things and actually being able to stay in an intuitive place with something so that it actually feels real, I guess. Yeah. And yeah. so you'd heard it before you met up in Sensible. Mm. So you maybe had some ideas in response to it um, that you yeah. then worked on at that moment when you met up. Yeah, but I mean, it was very, it, I didn't know how David would feel if I was just like, I really like it. I was worried that he'd think I was really lazy and that like I wasn't good enough that I would not have my own ideas. Thank God I, you know, helped write the second verse to show that I could do something. Um, but, you know, there's just so many like neurosis. I mean, I'm neurotic anyway, but especially at that first point, I think I'd had some really bad experiences in the studio. And so it's just this weird thing. It is like going on a date. And so you just kind of, you want to please the person but you also want to be able to make the music that you want to make so for me when I got that I was like okay I feel I feel okay about this but um I think what made me excited was that it just felt enchanting and it felt confident and it felt different and I love that the fact that the bass is the acoustic guitar pitched down like that's how I like it it feels mm. like it has a story behind the song and that that's what makes it feel so special and you know that devotion I don't think I've have ever had such a positive experience um as making the first record as with Dave and it's very much down to Dave and the way that he looks after you and that was just like the first example of him looking after me yeah yeah amazing so how many parts are on that or tracks are on that demo no there's not actually very much stuff so i i kind of remember that the sort of harmonic idea came from um it was it's really weird how you remember these things but i was i was at south by southwest and we were in soundcheck and often when i'm in soundcheck with with my band and um you know i'll just be i'll just be kind of pissing around and i was i made this loop basically and these these two chords and you know i, I love kind of light and dark and music and I kind of, I, that thing just stayed with me, that mood stayed with me and it ended up sort of becoming the, the basis of, of the idea. And then I made that, that weird bass sound with the acoustic guitar. And then um, I added some textures, also mainly created by the guitar. Um, so I'm, I think I was using an Ebo. I know that's supposed to be exclusively the ter territory of the edge, but <laughs> I, I cracked into the Ebo and sort of tried to, I like trying to make the guitar sound like other things. And so there's this stuff that comes in towards the end of the track that sounds a bit like a flute, but it's actually my guitar. Um, the palette for the whole record is very limited. I think I used like a Juno, maybe an MS-20 and a, 
a little toy Casio, basically. So that that main melody is on a it's on a Casio keyboard, basically, through my guitar pedals. And then I I had this great deal with Jessie. I remember saying to her, "How would you feel about it having this kind of handmade quality to it?" Um, you know, because it was early days for me, like as a producer. Um, you know, I was I was very late to the game in terms of like. You know, I, I got through my whole university career without ever typing anything. <laughs> you know? like, I, I think I got my first sort of computer when I was about 50 or something. I don't know. So it was like <laughs> I, I had this relationship to like my own creativity and how I make things. And I didn't want to lose that because I was working in a DAW and because you can put things on a grid and you can click a button and everything's shiny and nice and, you know, polished. And it was great to be working with someone who seemed to value that as well. And... um a lot of the program beats were made on um, a machine called an Electribe and I would just be playing the drums with my fingers and not really paying any attention to the grid and so everything's kind of got a kind of movement to it and a flow but those those were really the elements in that track it was just the Electribe, guitars and um, a couple of synths that was it really and then vocals yeah can we hear any of those elements on their own? Are you able to do that? Um, for a small fee? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, so I feel like we should start with the loops. So I just I just made those guitar loops and and cut in and out, you know, and sort of, rode them in and out basically through, but he through is the, the king of guitar loop like i mean nobody does it like him it's like he's launching off into space the way that he's doing all <laughs> these things it's like he's control it's incredible to watch i'm a madman <laughs> <laughs> so you've got it's them disturbing. on all on different channels that you can then fade up yeah as and i when guess you... i guess a bit like a dub mix or something you know mm. where you want to just bring in like effects and textures and stuff so i sort of treated it like that really um and then Okay, and then you've got that horrible bass line, which I love. I never knew that it was underwater as well. Yes, basically. I recorded it in the bath. (laughs) I was having a really great bath, and I just thought, hey, let's put this down. (laughs) So how did you get that water effect at the same time that you were playing... The I, guitar. Um, I can't remember. I think I think something. <laughs> I think one of my pedals is broken. Often the best things happen for me when stuff is broken. Um, I, that's right. I think my memory man was in the chain, and um, it was just doing this really weird thing. I was like, I love this. Sounds like I'm in a bath. Um, and then the drums. Yeah, I just I played these drums with my fingers on the electribe, and they're going through my guitar pedals. And so when you've got them both together, they're going like this that sounds really good it's making me think i should do it live like this yeah do you know but we let's just do the whole album again <laughs> <laughs> let's do the remix version it's always the way you know and then i guess you know if you if you bring in the loops this is kind of what i was doing i guess when i was working on it Ace. It's, he's really good, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. So all of those different elements, mm-hmm. um, 
were presented in the demo to Jesse, and then they all stayed exactly the same for the, for the final pretty, record? Or? Pretty, yeah. pretty much. Wow. I mean, pretty much. I think... Um, I think I probably asked for more reverb. Yeah, we we probably added reverb. Je- Jesse was definitely into reverb. Love we, a bit of reverb. When we were, when we were like, yeah, can I just, yeah, that's great. Let's have some more reverb. And I like reverb too, so it's all it's all good. Yeah, I didn't change too much. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I did pretty much nothing on this record. <laughs> on this <laughs> on that particular, particular record. Yeah. It's, it's amazing, but it's such a, a great... Um, moment of success instant success the two of you the chemistry yeah. um, the understanding mm. the mutual understanding of, of kind of where you wanted to go or what you might want to create yeah, together which is it's pretty amazing I and mean, it's interesting at this point too in terms of of who you were as an artist Jesse because mm. um, you'd worked with a few different people you know you'd mm. made that track with subject that um, yes. David heard um, you'd been singing with Jack Peñate yeah. which is a, a whole other kind of world mm-hmm. and because I remember when I first heard you and played started playing tracks on the radio it, you were associated with people like Jack and you knew the Maccabees and, and yeah. so it seemed that you were coming from a different kind of world to the sophisticated chanteurs that <laughs> resulted once the album came out you no know, it was a, it was kind yeah, of yeah I wasn't going to be part of like Tim's beat yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is it no this is it but I, th- I think it, like, you one missed of the first, a trick there <laughs> One of the first pictures I saw of you was just it you looked it was quite um dressed down, you just did a jumper, I oh, think, well, yeah. possibly. Probably, and I probably it, didn't have a stylist. Yeah, no, but there was no there was so it was a really <laughs> no it, it made sense in that, you know, you you'd read, read a thing and it said, Oh no, knows the Maccabees or worked with Jack Benny. And yet so and there you are just in a jumper and it's just a kind of <laughs> a, just a normal looking person. No well, I think yeah, for me it was like <laughs> It's, I mean, I definitely didn't do that on the album cover. I went no. kind of full yeah. drag queen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that was kind of really fun too, because I kind of, in my head, I'm pretending that I'm Barbara Streisand a lot of the time when I'm performing. Um, uh, or like the drag queen version of Babs. So, um, but yeah, at the beginning I was like, I mean, well, I was, I think at first record I was 27. No, I got signed when I was 27. So I was like a bit old, older than, you know, kind of other artists like Flo and the Maccabees and mm. Jack who got signed and I think I just still felt rather apologetic for getting a, a deal so I was like I'm not going to kind of I, I wasn't a star like I didn't have gowns and I didn't know how to dress myself properly and I was just like I into the music well no but, 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 but like you know it wasn't like I didn't feel like I needed to go to the studio in like a do <laughs> I'd go in my tracksuit bottoms and and I don't know I kind of think that I have earned the gold earrings and the uh, gowns <laughs> you know but yeah at the beginning it was I was quite unassuming I think and apologetic and it was like didn't want to kind of impose myself too much on people because I didn't know if it was going to work too well. So I was kind of like, yeah, I'm not going to be there being like, hi, this is me. I'm so glamorous. It's such an interesting tension, I suppose, between um, the confidence to express yourself and, uh, you know, and trying to figure out your place in the world. And I feel like all artists kind of go through this at, at all stages, actually, you know. Maybe it gets easier if you're like super defined, but then you might find that you've defined something that you want to redefine or whatever. It's reset mm. the conversation. It's like there's there's always a tension there. And, and I remember when I met Jessie again, just as I felt from her voice, I just I just felt like it was all there. It just needed to be empowered to sort of come out, basically, however it needed to come out. And I didn't really know what that was, but like um, I think when you find the right people to work with, they they draw that out of you. And the other thing that I, I want I want to say as well, just about that thing, like with devotion, which was, I guess, a fairly fully formed idea. I think there's such an art 
to be able to come into something like that and make it your own and know exactly how much or how little you need to do. I think there's a whole thing around like creation and ego where people feel like they have to do a lot in order to actually be legitimate in what they're making. Mm. And I, it was very profound to me that, that Jessie knew how to make that song her own. And, um, you know, she's she's downplaying her input, but I think that's, um, Thanks, I think all that Jay. stuff's very significant. I was just going to say, I mean, it's interesting because it seems to me that, you know, with those associations that you had, um, um, but you got signed because you had this vision that was there, you had this idea, you know, and, and this inspiration of, say, Sade and The yeah, Weeknd, yeah. and it was there. You had a an idea um, but obviously coming from the associations you had at that particular point, um, they're all kind of gritty and yeah. down to earth and yeah. and kind of girl next door type thing. But because you had that vision, then this partnership, this chemistry mm. helped realise that vision and, and then give you that confidence to be able to then put on those gold earrings. Absolutely. And, and like, I mean, I was always wearing big hoops because <laughs> like, that's just what I was doing. But I think it was... I think this it was this feeling of not actually feeling like I'd earned that title of a pop star yet. So I was just like this girl that got signed and feeling quite aware that maybe people would think it was nepotistic because of the fact that I had been a backing singer for Jack and because I knew all these... And it was really weird. It wasn't like we went to the Brit School, which is a great school, but like we went to Alain's, which it's a wonderful school, but it's not exactly like a performing... It's, it, it was just very weird and lucky that Florence came out of that and... Um, Felix from the Maccabees and and Jack, but really it was kind of this South London kind of pot of you know um, melting pot of people. But um, I think I felt very aware that I didn't want to step on anyone's toes and that I was doing my own thing, and it was very different to that. But mm. yeah, it definitely took Dave to kind of bring myself out in. Myself. God, that's really <laughs> profound. Myself out of myself. You know what I mean? <laughs> anyway, yeah. Bring me out of myself. There we go. Should we hear the finished version of Devotion then to see how this chemistry came to this amazing piece of music? the finished version of Devotion. It went on to be the opening track and the title track of the debut album by Jesse Ware. Um, and it's amazing that, you know, that first meeting, it, that kind of became the start of, of the record yeah. and helped it define it so well. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, when I'm going to listen to it in the future, I'm just going to think of Dave's Kitchen in Lewisham because so much of it was it created. <laughs> it's the last thing you want to think about. You want to think it was done on a beach. Yeah, exactly. You know? like, sort of, yeah, no. We were all wearing like sort of white linen suits yeah. and <laughs> speed boats and I don't know. It's just... Wind machines. But you kind of decamped then from Sensible, you went to Dave's Kitchen in Lewisham to carry on best. working on, on the record. Well, in yeah. fact, we tried to recreate Dave's Kitchen when we went to Red Bull. Red Bull Studios were incredible to me and us. 
um, and let us record the record there. Um, so we wrote and recorded a lot in Dave's kitchen, but then when we kind of went to actually record the finished things, we the vocals mostly. Yeah, it was mainly vocals, yeah. wasn't it? A few other little bits. Yeah, maybe Leo doing some drums. Mm. Um, we went to uh, Red Bull Studios, which was in Tooley Street. They've just moved. And, and they, we said, do you mind if... Because I was really anxious about being in a studio. They, they, they're such funny places, aren't mm. they? Because they kind of don't have any of that um, warmth. So I said, do you think we could kind of recreate Dave's kitchen? And they said, yeah, whatever you want. So we, we brought loads of vinyl, didn't we? Yeah. And... I think like my mum brought brownies every other day or something and then we just kind of made it feel a bit less sterile and I think I had yeah I had Barbara Streisand vinyl and Whitney Houston vinyl in my face every time that I would sing and Dave brought loads of his vinyls that had been you know Prince J um Grace Jones and um Rick James like lots of vinyls and we just kind of had all this these influences um even if they were subconscious influences but kind of you know, just there and colour and life. And um, so that was really lovely. Mm. So we kind of created a, a zone of inspiration. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was basically like a therapy session <laughs> for the, like, when I worked with Dave. Like, <laughs> now that I think about it, God, I sound like he needed to hold my hand the whole time. I was petrified. They said, well, starting out is a, is a tricky thing, especially from the way that you did in a way, because some people start out, you know, they form the band, they do loads of gigs, mm. um, and then they go into a recording studio. Yeah. Whereas, you know, you had done gigs, but with other people, yeah. and it's a different kind of thing. Whereas now this is the project, this is, you know, uh -huh. the, the artist that you're creating, and you've got to work out how you want to do that. Yeah, you know? and I think Dave was wanted to make that experience of making my debut record as special and memorable as possible. And so, and I, I'll never forget that, you know, there was so much thought and consideration to not only make good music, but to create wonderful memories together. And I've tried to kind of carry that on. Um, sometimes it's worked, sometimes it hasn't. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, that was, there was a really, uh, that was so beautiful. And I think that's also what people seem to quite like about this this record and the stories and you know we did kind of a lot of interviews together and it was like me and Dave we were there all the time together <laughs> it was like it was our baby and um and that I, I'll never forget that it was incredible I I wish every new artist could have that experience Dave are you willing <laughs> <laughs> you've got to do every single new artist ever, <laughs> ever. has to go through the yeah, Dave Vakumu yeah. process there should be like a school filter. a Dave Vakumu school <laughs> Well, that would be a good thing. Yeah, I remember just feeling at the end of this process, like there's just no way I can do this again. It felt so special. You know, it was the first record that somebody entrusted for me to produce and, and exec in that way. And that, that's, you know, you'll never get that moment back. And we just, it was such a special journey. I, was, yeah. I can't believe like just the amount of faith and trust that was placed in me by Jesse and her team. And, um, and it, you know, it should it should be like that when people work together, but sometimes circumstances don't allow or other pressures don't allow so it's yeah a very 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 precious memory to me making this record yeah you may have heard us talk about tape it before and if you haven't then let me fill you in as they are the sponsor of today's episode with a fantastic offer for you tape it is an iphone recording app made by musicians for musicians 
Many of our guests on Take Notes, music industry friends and listeners rely on voice notes to record their early ideas. People like the Lumineers, Ezra Collective and Fred again have all shared recordings with us made on voice notes. But what you wouldn't have heard are the long pauses where they're searching for those recordings. We wouldn't want to put you through that. As you can understand, organising and finding the right notes, let alone a specific part, can be a nightmare. Tape It solves all of that voice memo chaos with intuitive labelling features, including automatic instrument detection, markers and collaborative mixtapes, meaning you can share band practices, organise set lists and brainstorm ideas with co-writers and band members. Plus, you can record straight from your lock screen and attach text and photo notes to each recording. One of our favourite features within Tapeit Pro is that you can record in stereo using two microphones along with gentler dynamic compression to give a much more natural sound than any of the usual apps. It's a huge upgrade to the microphone and all-round audio quality. It really helps support the podcast whenever you engage with our sponsors. So if Tapeit sounds like an app you'd use, then do us a favour. Pause the episode, head to the link in a recent episode show notes, or visit tape.it forward slash tape notes and give tape it a go. That's tape.it forward slash tape notes. You can download for free or use the promo code tape notes for 50% off tape it pro. Thank you. And now on with the show. Did you do it? Honestly, Tape It is fantastic. All of the Tape Notes team members are complete converts. And excitingly, some of our guests have started to use it as well. So I really would recommend checking it out. This episode is supported by Museversal, an amazing new service for working with session musicians remotely. If you use session musicians or would like to, but it's been too expensive or hard to organise, this is for you. And we have a special offer for any Tape Notes listeners, 25% off for the first three months, and you get to skip the wait list. But more on that in a moment. I've got David from Museversal here to tell us all about it. Hello, David. What is Museversal? Hey, John, thank you so much for having us on here. Appreciate it a ton. Museversal is an online remote recording studio for artists, producers, composers, anyone who's a music creator to work with session musicians remotely. In a couple of clicks, you can go on and you can book a session with a drummer or a guitar player, a piano player, you name it, they're on the platform and so the way that it works is all of the sessions are hosted over live stream. So all of the, you know, revisions and feedback and all of the different little, you know, hey, um, would you mind, you know, moving to the ride symbol for the fourth bar? Or would you mind, you know, finger plucking instead of using a pick? You know, all of those types of creative choices can happen quite literally as if the musician is in the room just done over live stream. Yeah. It sounds amazing. And in a way, the clue is in the name, Museversal. It means that whether you're a beginner or whether you're somebody with a lot of experience, you can still get access to the same kind of level of musicianship and creativity. Yeah, it's amazing because it allows the music to have expression on it and musicianship that, you know, if I'm sitting in my basement playing piano versus a piano player that's played for, you know, Jay-Z or has been playing for 25 plus years, the material that comes out of that is going to sound night and day. What does it cost? So the service is $200 a month US and included in that is all of the sessions. So there's no additional fees or anything. You know, you get to book as many sessions as you can have per month. To put it in perspective, the average user probably books about five to seven sessions per month. But we actually have some users booking 10, 12, 15 sessions per month. So I mean, you could do the math on 200. The, the deal really is awesome. And it, it allows people to work with incredible musicians and, and, you know, not break the bank. 
It sounds great. Can you remind us what the offer is for Take Notes listeners? Well, look, we're so thankful um, that you guys are having us on here. What we would love to do is offer 25% off per month for their first three months. And then the other cool part is they get to skip our wait list. So, you know, we usually run a wait list. It's about two weeks long. But in this case, you know, finding us through this episode, you could have a session as early as tomorrow. Fantastic. And to get the offer, all you have to do is find the link in any of our recent episode show notes. David, thank you so much for speaking to us. And maybe one day we'll be talking about a piece of music that's been created using Musiversal. That would be incredible. We cannot wait for that day. And so after Devotion, the next song we were going to look at was Swan Song, yeah. or is Swan Song. Mm. Um, and that was one you were much more involved in initiating and, and putting yeah. together. I mean, again, David kind of say I've worked on this idea and you'd be like brilliant what are we doing today <laughs> and and he'd have this mood but he had no words no melodies I don't think no I think I, ju I just had a bit of the music yeah so yeah. we kind of worked on this together and it would be like Dave working on his headphones kind of working up the music and I'd be there trying to like write and think about what I wanted to say so um, I haven't heard this one for so, so what should we hear the finished thing and then yeah, see how maybe, it's going? Yeah, maybe actually that would be great. Yeah. One song by Jesse Ware from the album Devotion. So that's what we get on the record. Mm. And we were talking about how this this kind of started with a little bit of music and you scribbling yeah. uh, frantically, trying to yeah. sum up your life in a few few words. Yeah, this one's about my dad actually. And I think I'd I'd read in a book um, Swan Song, and I kind of had to Google what it meant, and it meant this kind of final kind of call to someone and like a, 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 a I'm not even saying it properly I need to google it again um but it felt like this departure and this kind of goodbye and it, there was kind of um and I wrote about my dad and I love the juxtaposition about it being about kind of my father but yet having this kind of like loop like hip hop it just felt like it had like this movement and so as much as it it could appear self-indulgent and quite miserable but there's like this it, that momentum of that loop just kind of keeps it going and it keeps it bouncing 
and it's got that lushness and we, we layered up the vocals a lot and um and there's harmonies and so there's like that softness which Dave always kind of brought out with me but with this with this um beat and and kind of a playful quality as well but like there's there's drama in this one I feel mm. and uh, how how did it start then if we're gonna dissect it and yeah and a, break it down it's an interesting one for me this one because you know I, I think it does sort of relate in some ways to the the palette of devotion of the tune devotion but I kind of when I you know when I look at the individual components that make it up there's there's a sort of interesting um tension and juxtaposition of ideas and, and feelings so, mm. um yeah what, what did you give her then what I think it was essentially in a similar way to um, devotion. It, it was it's a lot of the elements that you hear in in the final version. So um, the thing that's kind of creating the, the the driving sound is this guitar, which I actually it's just played. It's actually not a loop, as I recall. Um, and then again, it sounds quite synth-like, but it's actually a guitar. That's your guitar. Sorry, yes, it is. <laughs> and you're just playing it? Yeah, I'm playing it, and it's kind of through a reverse delay set in a particular way to sort of create that effect. Um, so so that was that was kind of the starting point, and then and then I added another guitar, which kind of is the slow arpeggio. Mm. Cool. I think the bass is sort of mirroring that. Oh no, it's not. See, I don't. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> that was really the beginning of the idea, and but I also I think I had the feel, which is my boneheaded drumming. Yeah, it was those components. Basically. And there's something so melancholic like about those chords and I felt like, I don't know, maybe it, uh, I'm really happy that Dave was happy for me to write a sad song with this. Um, but I think, again, there was that space in the verse, like... Dun, 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 dun. It's not like me sobbing down the <laughs> mic, you know? There's space and it's it works within the rhythms and the melodies that are there, so... Um, and then, you know, there's kind of crescendo with the chorus, which is like, hear my swan song, it was my mistake. Actually, it's kind of, that's quite kind of, it's got a lot of vocals in there. And, um, but there's, yeah, there's not lots of trills. There's not, there's a simplicity in it, I think, yeah. which is what I learned from Dave. Yeah, it's quite interesting. It kind of lends itself to telling a story mm. and then you can build it up to an impact if you wanted yeah. to or not. So exactly, I'm just, because yeah. what I'm doing is visualising uh, the picture of Whitney and the picture of Barbara. <laughs> um, but at this point, you're kind of um, thinking, no, I can do I more think, of a know, Gladys and just tell yeah, a story. Yeah, but also, like, I think, like, you know, I looked at, like, Romy mm. and what she was doing. You know, there's a simplicity mm. with how Romy always writes um, from the XX, and I, I love that, and that um, there's an in intimacy there, and I think she does that so beautifully. And so probably I was a bit inspired by the XX maybe as well. Mm. It's really interesting because listening to the elements 
um, separately. You can really hear that maybe you know there, there could be a dre element to when the when the drums work, but then you can also hear what you're talking about about um, the music conjuring up more of a you know late sixties David Axelrod type, yeah. you know, orchestrated bunch of session musicians, but in kind of a, a bare bones mm. version, exactly. Um, but then it has almost an XX element to it as well, mm. and it's quite it's quite interesting the the combinations. But you can hear the different references without I, them being without, so specific that you exactly. immediately think, ah, yes, they're trying to copy this. Yeah, it's interesting that you kind of pick up on all those elements because, yeah, I think I think that's exactly right. There's there's You think about these things, I guess, when, you know, your life revolves around making stuff. And I have an issue with things that feel kind of derivative or they don't feel like their own thing, but everything is inspired by what's gone before in some way, you know. Um, and I always think of um, this line from... Um, a Charlie Kaufman film adaptation where this Nicolas Cage plays these two twin brothers and one of them's a successful screenwriter but he's got writer's block and the other one is like a sort of an aspiring writer and the one who's not so successful says to his successful twin brother you know you are what you love and that's always stayed with me and it's this sense that actually if you if you reflect what you love properly it's kind of gone through you you know you're like a filter and it's our role as creators to sort of bring those inspirations to the table, but it doesn't mean that you're just copying something. You know, you, you, you reflect what you love. And when I sort of listen to the components, it's I, I kind of, yeah, I hear a lot of those things that you say and it kind of takes me by surprise. But then I remember I remember us talking about about Romy and and it's it's funny that you mentioned the Dave, David Axelrod thing. I mean, I, it hadn't really occurred to me, but I definitely had a moment with this tune where I kind of imagined an orchestration. and. And, you know, and there is my, my friend Rob, who probably would kill me for playing you this, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Rob came in and he, he doesn't really play the cello. He's an amazing bass player, but he came and played some cello because I, I just wanted, like, that element. And you hear, it, you hear it at the beginning of the song, playing this kind of pizzicato figure. can hear like his chair and all this kind of stuff in there and I, I just love all that stuff you know mm. and you know and, to, and then towards the end of the song we sort of I just wrote a little arrangement pretty much on the fly but just to it's kind of buried in the mix but it's just to sort of bring that kind of element to that feeling so even if it's not something that you're totally conscious of when you listen to it it's it's there in the texture of the music. By the way, Rob like managed to make his cello sound like a violin yeah, yeah, and yeah, everything. We had no budget, so <laughs> Rob basically had to be uh, orchestra. Yeah. Right, um, so that's all Rob? Yes. All those so different that's, string that's elements? All, that's yeah. all that's Rob. Amazing. And Rob yeah. was like, I, I don't even play the cello. <laughs> I just, I and I was like, can you just that. do that? Please, can you just pick that cello up and just do this thing? Because you know, Because when, when I heard that, I immediately, because you were talking about Red Bull as well and yeah. doing a lot of the, the yeah. bigger recording yeah. there, I suddenly thought, well, we moved from Dave's Kitchen. Yeah. Now we're at Red Bull and and there's a load yeah, of string it's Rob players on his there. Chair. It's just it's just Rob on his, on his squeaky yeah. chair <laughs> with about twenty minutes to go before he has to get to another sound check. And I was just like, "Can we just try this thing, please? Like, trust me. Like, I think this will sound great." And 
that's you know uh, the record's full of moments like that which I remember really fondly and again I just I love the fact that when it came to finishing things off and when Lex was mixing he wasn't like what is this what have you given me like we have to clean this up it's like it's all in there like warts and all there's mistakes there's you know it's it's just it's the things which for me make recordings mm. special basically <clears throat> the the kind of human element and um yeah it's it's heartwarming to know that, that stuff is kind of all there like committed to tape basically there's such a mm. romance about that you know like mm. it's rob who dave's good friend and then leo who um drums with, with invisible is in the invisible but also is like one of the kind of most amazing session drummers out there to have all these people involved in the record and and you know favors to a certain extent you know but with so much goodwill with everybody that was involved in this record and that makes it so much more beautiful and yeah. special yeah yeah well it's a community really isn't yeah. it yeah and that's um, how it should be i think and at what point do you put down your vocals then what point do you sing i mean demo was just rough kind of layer it up and stuff but then say i would have probably done my vocal when rob came in i think probably he was probably playing to my with my vocal in there yeah we sort of we finished vocal i'd say mm. yeah. yeah we kind of did it, it felt like we needed you know we needed guide vocals to get our ideas down and see whether we liked the songs and then we had a period of vocaling at red bull you know a couple of weeks where it was like mm. devoted to that and it was it was interesting i think recording vocals is really difficult it's like people can underestimate what a challenge it is actually for singers to kind of deliver in that way in the studio because as jesse says studio environments can be pretty weird um and there can just be a, a pressure um around sort of getting uh, getting those things right basically and um i guess something that really impressed me about jesse was that she seemed to want a sense of occasion around recording the vocals um, I think sometimes it doesn't work so well for some people. You actually need to remove the sense of occasion to get the performances. But with Jessie, she was like, I want to go in and I want to have Barbara Streisand and I want to have Whitney and like, let's do this. You know, it's kind of how it worked. I was think. I singing in the dark though then? Um, in Red Bull, they had this big <laughs> glass window like where the vocal booth was and then then I I definitely had my back to them because yeah, I yeah. just felt like I didn't need them to be seeing my like <laughs> weird little face doing trying to get notes. And I think I definitely asked it to be dimly lit. And, yeah, yeah. and bless Brendan, who was our um, engineer, he kindly obliged. And so as much as I love the sense of occasion, I do love, like, I love a deadline. I think it's from trying to be a journalist for a while. Like, I like that we've got, like, 12 songs to do in 10 days let's bloody do this <laughs> and so like quite enjoyed that and uh, and it was quite nice it, there was like a the structure which sometimes goes like I mean you never really have structure in music um, especially when you're writing so I quite like to write I'm going in I'm going to sing this song today and there's a schedule like I really should work a nine to five like it would suit me much better than music yeah. so I liked that yeah but that's a nice it, doing the vocal which is a quite pressurised yeah. you know, situation it's nice to be able to approach it and think right I've got a job to do I, yeah. I have to do this and then so the setup would be a slightly darkened room um face towards the wall yeah. um, back to the studio yeah. so that nobody could see your funny you. face. But it would allow you to... Be able to perform mm. and maybe like do some hand gestures and okay. kind of feel I'll like I was in a performance room, I guess. Yeah. I want to tell you another thing about the vocals. It can be very pressurising doing vocals and, you know, you, you want to get them right. And um, and I felt there were definitely times with, with you, Jess, where it felt like um, 
you, you were being very, very hard on yourself. You know, we'd get in at like 10 in the morning or something and she'd be like, start singing something. She'd be like, I'm not, you know, I'm not getting this right. I'm like, it's 10 in the morning. Like, you're, you're not warmed up yet. You know, it's, it's, it's all good. But, but And I'd try and trick her. I'd try and do this thing where we'd like, we'd may spend a bit of time like getting, you know, things sounding right and doing a verse here and doing whatever. And then at the end, I'd be like, okay, now that you have the assurance that you've kind of got things kind of sounding correct, just sing like three, four takes or something. There's a lot of things on this record that are kind of close to like whole takes. Um, I didn't tune a single vocal. Um, uh, <laughs> it's a real testament to what a great singer Jesse is. And not only, you not call only it that, wide tuning. I call it wide tuning. I'm a fan of wide tuning. <laughs> um, I had a conversation with Jeff Barrow from Portishead. He was telling me when they made Portishead 3, which is a record that I really, really love, they, they were working on the tracks and they kind of had all these demos and they're sounding really good. And then they were like, okay, we need to like record them properly now because all the synths are out of tune and everything. They tuned everything up and basically they recorded everything again and it just sounded like dog shit because everything was in tune. So they just were like, we've got to go back to the, to the wide tuning. So I'm a fan of imperfection and I'm really proud of the fact that this record is full of imperfection. And for me, that's kind of what makes it perfect. And the fact that Jesse's vocals are so natural on this record really like, it's why I know I'll basically be playing it to my son when he's 30 and like whatever it's like there's a there's a, an organic quality to the performances and even when there were times where jesse was like can you just tune this vocal i was like no it's like you sound amazing you know it sounds absolutely amazing so a lot of these vocals that you hear it they're really not very worked on at all like i i hardly did anything jesse just sang you know and that's <laughs> kind of amazing to me because you, you, you don't hear records like that very often you, know, you, really you, don't. you don't hear my records like that either anymore <laughs> Uh, I is like that kid that was denied sweets when they were like younger so they go to the friend's house and they just eat all the sweets like that basically I definitely use all the shoe now I think I've had like an aggressive reaction to that yeah but, Jessie actually she's using all the yeah, now it's right built now. in it's like it's just there in her the larynx just like tuning uh, the shit out but no I, I do appreciate it and it was definitely a training of sorts and uh, as much as it kind of annoyed me when I'd be like please just tune that one note because I think that was quite good apart from that note and he just wouldn't back down (laughs) so yeah so would that mean that you would feel dissatisfied and want to sing it again or would Uh, you you then listen to Dave's advice and just walk away and be happy I would listen to Dave's advice and I think that that's you know sometimes producers you don't think give as much of a shit about the vocal and the moments and I felt completely trusting I felt like if Dave who's got the best taste in the world if he thinks it kind of works being a bit kind of iffy then I'm gonna go with it because I feel like he knows better than me at the moment and um I think he still does to be fair um but um I I think that there was a confidence with him saying no I think that's really good but it was also because he was listening to everything and he cared about every line and sometimes I think that doesn't happen so much so I'll just be like cool we'll whack it on the tune. Yeah, but it can be quite easy to get obsessed by the idea of getting everything aligned and everything mm. perfect. Mm. And and yeah. that Porter said story illustrates it quite well, where yeah. You, know, yeah. you do get it all you know, set and it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, we've lost all lost. the feeling yeah. and all the magic yeah. has gone. Time for a quick Tape It feature highlight. Among the various ways Tape It helps you organise your voice notes, you can create mixtapes. If you're working on a particular song or want to group specific ideas, you can add them to a mixtape. And the best thing is you can invite bandmates or writing partners to collaborate on them so they can add their ideas to the mixtape as well. 
To find out more, head to the link in a recent episode show notes or use the promo code tape notes for 50% off Tape It Pro. Um, no to Love was the next song we were going to have a yeah. look at. And uh, this has lots of different elements in it. And more, Dave almost takes on a, a starring role. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> oh, Can we not do this one? <laughs> <laughs> I love these bits, though. And it's interesting because and one of the exciting things about the emergence of Jesse Ware as an artist was that you kind of flagged up areas of music that I think people had kind of forgotten about in a way. Because the combination of the two of you uh, and the interest that you have, you know, brought us back to a time in the 80s that had become yeah. unfashionable for a while. And it was almost like, actually, these are really great grooves and this is a great mood to, to kind of luxuriate in. And which is something maybe that you had soaked up, I assume, during your childhood. And, yeah, I think you know. it was like it verged on guilty pleasure music, mm. but I loved it so much. And so... And I remember a time when people weren't talking about Sade being like, I mean, I know Sade is the queen, but it feels very fashionable to adore yeah. Sade yeah. now, which drives That's... me fucking mental. Um, That's your fault. I know. Babes. I really, I feel like it is our fault. But um, but no, I think that, you know, I, that kind of smoothness mm. and, um, and like, say, Lisa Stansfield, um, everyone kept on comparing me to Lisa Stansfield. And I actually haven't listened to that much to Lisa Stansfield, but I kind of love what she stands for, that kind of diva, big voice. Like, even though I don't really do a big voice on devotion, but um, there's a femininity about it, a kind of womanliness and uh, hopefully like a sophistication. And yeah, and Dave let me explore these. And it, as much as we'd laugh about it playing with guilty pleasure, it was never supposed to be like tongue in cheek or mm. pastiche. It was definitely like because we we enjoyed it. But then it kind of everyone, it was really weird. Like when Pitchfork started writing about me, I was like ready for them to like rip me apart or just not to ruin me. And then they like loved it. And, and I was like, this doesn't make sense to me. Like I'm really a bit goofy. And like I've done like songs where we've got like, like status quo guitar lines in there, like almost in like, say, Sweet Talk. And um, yeah, everyone kind of embraced it. It was really weird because uh, I, di I didn't really give a shit if they embraced it or not, but it was funny. They mm. like took on all those bits that I thought maybe people would be like, oh, that's a bit, that's a bit not very, you know, I but don't know, cool. It, don't you think that says, that speaks to something? It's about, I just think if you kind of stand for what you love for, yeah. then it's, mm. it's, totally. it's all good, basically. And I think all that anxiety that we can have around that stuff is just, it's misplaced because, you know, I think our job is just to do what we love. And I think, you know, we often love things that are cheesy and we often love things that are cool and there's a place for it all, but we just have to work out how to bring those elements together in a way that makes sense for us. And I think we kind of managed to do that coming out of the gates with this record. You know, it's like as a... It, it really felt like that. And I loved the fact that there was sufficient trust between us that we weren't inhibited about sharing what we love. You know, I could say mm. I love Peter Gabriel so. I don't love everything he's done, but I love that record. Mm. You know what I mean? And I love the fact that you could say, you know, I want things to feel like the end of an 80s film or like I want to, I want this track to be like a sort of Disney track or. Oh, yeah, I mean? one was called like, Pocahontas. Yeah, the working yeah. title was Pocahontas. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, I think it's really important to have that that freedom when you're when you're making things. I'm not saying that that's something that you need to necessarily be totally transparent about all of the time. Mm. But I think when you're making something with another person, that transparency is really important, and it can only be there if if there's 
a desire to connect in that way in the first place, basically. Mm, mm. But also, I mean, tastes shift. So, you know, when something seems too dominant, uh, a force bit in music or fashion mm. or or writing, then we get saturated in it and, and it becomes too much and there's a reaction to yeah. that and you go the complete opposite direction. Yeah. But by the time you started re-exploring these sounds and these this, this, these kind of feelings, um, then you know we were, the world seemed ready for them yeah. again. Yeah, absolutely, you know? absolutely. Um, and and then we realised, oh, actually, those you know, there's some really brilliant things about those elements that mm. you know need to be revived. You yeah. know, and and no to love is interesting because it combines a few different things um, because of the spoken word thing that you do, Dave. And and you know, that I the, bullied him into that kind of. <laughs> well, I I just was like, sorry to interrupt. I just feel like it was so important for Dave to have. A place on this record, not so. I tried to keep him in every 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 song. He's there somewhere, whether it's him playing. I mean, but but I wanted his voice because also he's got the most beautiful voice. So it and it was that reassurance. So and I love that. I loved, I loved that there, there was a, a male voice in there. And so it became a conversation each song. Um, but no to love was like his chance to like basically be boneheaded, like <laughs> spoken word kind of <laughs> genius. And I just, it was like. I don't know. You you rose to the challenge, but it was just supposed like it was properly. Playful, I asked you if you wanted to, and you were like, "Oh, yeah, okay, cool." And it was just there wasn't too much thought about it. You know, we didn't need to go and get some rapper on it. You know, <laughs> it was like we'll get David Kumu. Yeah, boneheaded. It sounds great. Let's have a listen to No to Love now. Who says no to love? It's such a good question. I know. How can we say no to love? <laughs> Amen. Amen. So uh, <laughs> this, you say, Dave, started as a jam? Um, yeah, very much so. Um, I was hunting desperately this morning for the for the original thing because uh, um, it's, quite, it's quite different from what you hear. The feel is the same. Again, it just came from one of my sort of like going to a rehearsal room and, and hit whatever drums are there. That was kind of the bedrock of, of the of the idea was just that feel again, but actually the the first demo that I did and I think I played Jesse it was a very different mood it was it was much more kind of American sounding it's the only way I can put it it's sort of it was kind of brighter um, kind of a bit more sort of neo solely sounding I guess and I remember playing it to Jesse and we were kind of like oh yeah this is a cool groove and I don't think we really did anything with it initially and then we had this idea of like can we um write a song that doesn't really have any lyrics or that just says it with just like very 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 what's the what's the least number of words we can use to kind of get the message across and um yeah that's that's kind of essentially what this song is and i'm i'm also interested 
when you're being economical, it can seem like you're being lazy. Um, you know, it can feel insubstantial or just like a cheap trick or something. And but I also think there's a real art to to being able to be economical with with words and and say a lot. And actually, for me, that phrase does actually. It's a it's it's a really profound question. Yeah, it is <laughs> in a yeah. way. Yeah, and yeah, actually, totally. it's a, a question kind of worth meditating on on many levels. So actually, to kind of have that phrase repeated, I just I remember really enjoying that as we started doing it and. I kind of remember a point in the kitchen where we were like, just that was the only thing we had. And then we were like, maybe that's it. You know, that's like. I think what was quite <laughs> clever though, if we say so ourselves, um, <laughs> we kind of changed it from being, and what was I thinking of? And what were you thinking of? So it'd be like, who says no to love? Who says no to love? Who says no to love? And what were you thinking of? Who says no to love? Who says no to love? Who says no to love? And what was I thinking of? Who says no to love? Who says no to love? And what were we thinking of? And it kind of would, it, 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 it meant that you could create different scenes. So maybe somebody had wronged that person or what, maybe you'd wronged them or maybe you were both just as bad as each other. And there was a kind of desperation and a sexiness about it, but also kind of, yeah, a meditative quality to it. And so I feel like it kind of, it does quite a lot for something that just repeats it kind of it, it there's a, a story that builds in my head anyway and you know this is one that we um goes down so well live and I think it's probably because it's one of my most up-tempo songs as well like because I'm usually <laughs> mid-tempo yeah but um but no but like it's so fun the band love playing it and it just like is exactly that kind of you know they their eyes spark up when it's in the set because they get to play an akumu kind of um you know, kind of uh, um, beat and groove, and that is always exciting for the the band. So I don't know. It just and and then it's yeah. I just it, it's something that the simplicity of it just delivers. I think. Mm. But then, how did you work out? Now we need a little spoken word passage because that seems as if that was led by Jesse. I just feel like it. It felt my kind of nearest to hip hop um, in the record. I mean, yes, one song has that kind of like loop, but. It felt the nearest to hip hop, and I just kind of wanted to indulge in that a bit. And like, I just thought that you know, Dave's got so many uh, hip hop influences. I was just like, well, do you want to just try and say something? And I felt like maybe it would kind of, it would just be a fun memory for us too. Yeah. And he'd do it in a classy way, so it wouldn't feel like we're trying to, yeah, get an American rapper involved. I mean, I don't know. It just felt it. it it made the song even more special in a sense. It just and more British as well. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I mean, did you have to face the back of the wall when you <laughs> recorded that? Well, the, the brilliant thing was, I think the stage it happened at. Um, yeah, I felt I I almost didn't believe that it was gonna, it was happening, you know. And I I kind of again I guess that's where I tricked myself and trying to stay in that kind of intuitive place and just to be playful and not really think about it. There was a part of me just, I didn't really think we'd ever get away with this song. I thought someone was going to come in and go, hang on a second, you haven't written a song? <laughs> what's, <laughs> what's this? You know, you've got, there's no pre-chorus and no whatever, you know. Um, so I, I just, I, there was, I just was like, oh, let's just see what, where this goes. And I think I could feel that the whole time through this record, I felt so connected to Jessie. I could just sort of see what she meant. So when she had an idea as absurd as like having me speak on the end of the record of the song, I, I kind of knew where she was coming from. It was like, it, again, it just felt like a, a reclamation of our identity of what we were creating and not trying to be anything other than who we are and not apologizing for that either. 
And I also like, it's important to say as well, like I like being out of my comfort zone. You know, I value that because I, I know that it, it, it will take me somewhere new and I'm always looking for that. It's kind of that amazing balance of feeling safe, but also out of my comfort zone and, and you know, and doing new things. It was new for me to produce a record. It was new to have that level of responsibility. It was new to um, sort of see if I could make whole tracks where I played everything. It was like there were all these things that were just new and it just was another flavour of that. So, yeah, I was, I, was, I was totally up for it, but I think part of me thought, oh, it's not this will just be for like my archive <laughs> well, I, I, also, I also think that like it's really important to say that although it, it does it does so jesse Ware on the cover it's absolutely our record together and i will never um stop thinking that you know it it, it, it was our baby it was our so for dave to be on the record on not only just doing bvs and producing it but just to have that kind of moment i think was just quite special for us and just mm um signifies how important this record was for both of us mm. and it became successful commercially mm. yeah. critically too nominated for the mercury prize mm. um you mentioned pitchfork they were waving no, flags and, so and getting cute. excited yeah. about it so you know gratifying in so many ways because yeah. it helped mm. launch jesse ware as an artist um and give you a future to be able to wear bigger gold earrings or whatever it was you wanted to do. But, you know, play on you know, yeah. stages around the world yeah. and, and take these songs and your future repertoire mm. to people, um, but also get a, a slap on, a, you know, pat on the back saying, no, and it's a bit clever, this record, you know, it's, it's a bit special, you know, which is a, a brilliant start to anything, isn't it? Mm. Well, I just think it's so funny, isn't it? When you're not trying to impress anybody, you're just trying to make it for yourself, you just, <laughs> the best stuff happens. Mm. And I've definitely learned that you know that I've learned that the hard way I think too um but yeah it's it's it, yeah they kind of weirdly came running to us when we were just like oh nobody listened to it we're just gonna kind of <laughs> yeah. enjoy it and yeah it take, took on a life of its own and um I'll, I'll never forget that that it was it was crazy but also really special to be able to do that with Dave mm. Fantastic and very special to be able to talk to the two of you here in this lovely new studio, Dave. I think the best way is to uh, reprise No to Love and go out uh, maybe with the sounds of, of David Coomis whispering into our ears. <laughs> whispering lovingly. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review, tell your friends about us and make sure you're subscribed so you can enjoy the latest episodes when they're released. Tape Notes is brought to you by In The Woods. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, plus check out their barn sessions on YouTube. All links are in the episode description. Until next time, I'm John Kennedy and thanks for listening. Oh,